jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Here we go on a Monday in central New York. Seth Goldberg with you here on Orange Nation. Stephen Fonte out sick, but we'll take care of you up until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Julian Wiggum stopping by at 12.30. Floyd Little stopping by at 1 o'clock. You know the number, 315-437-7644. To call in, 315-288-0644 to text in. And I got to ask, well, a simple question. How's everybody doing today in central New York? How are all you football fans doing today in central New York? And I would imagine this is where we take the majority of today's show. We're going to stick with the football. We'll get to today's business, of course. But we got to go with Syracuse football. We have to start with one thing in particular. Not Saturday's game. Not the win, 51-41. Not... The offense showing out, not Eric Dungy playing incredibly well, not the defense coming up uh, with a stop when they so desperately needed it. Nope, that is not what we need to start the show with. And I'm sure we'll get to all of that over the course of today and this week. What we need to start with is a simple welcome back. A simple welcome back to Syracuse football. Welcome back to the national stage, Syracuse football. It's been 16 full seasons since being ranked in the AP poll. 16 full seasons. Plus the half of this one. The Orange is back. The Orange is back in the AP poll. The Orange is back to relevance. On the national stage. Welcome back. That's what yesterday felt like. Yesterday felt like a moment. Yesterday felt like you could see it unfolding. First the coaches poll comes out and Syracuse slides in at 24th in the country. And you could see the the teams at the top and the college football world starting to open their arms. And then the AP poll comes out yesterday afternoon. And Syracuse is 22nd in the country. And the arms wrapped around Otto, squeezed him tight like a, a, a welcome back hug. Good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. But you're back. You're back in the club. 
That's what this weekend was to me. It was a welcome back. It was a re-emergence. It was a re-establishment. Whatever you want to say. It was a push by Syracuse football. They finally break through. They finally get into the top 25. They beat a ranked team in prime time in their home building. And that's enough to push them over the edge. And yes, over the last 16 years, they've had ups and more often downs. They've had ups, though. They've made ball games, four of them over that 16-year span. Not a lot, but they've made ball games. They've had 500 or better years, four of them, in that 16-year span. They've had big wins. They won at Notre Dame. They beat Virginia Tech in the Dome. They beat Clemson in the Dome. They've pulled off big games. There have been reasons for this program to be noticed on some level over the last 16 years. But finally, after this weekend, it feels like they're back and back for a little while. Not just one weekend, not just a blip. This program is back as far as national relevance goes. Because they finally cracked that top 25. They finally have that number next to their name. And I thought of this yesterday, and it's it's pretty crazy to me to think. But for the first time on Saturday afternoon, for the first time, the Syracuse Orange, Syracuse Orange will take the field with a ranked number next to their name in football. Pretty wild to think about. It's been a long time coming. And I think that when you look at how they got here, when you look at how they've made it to this place, how they've made it to 22nd in the country, I think you've got to look at Dino Babers. I think you've got to look at this coaching staff. And I think you've got to say they've done what they said they would, as Dino alluded to after the game on Saturday. You know, it means a lot. I can still think, I can still think back to the, uh, the basketball game where I had to come out and speak to the community the very first time. And if you're going to speak to our community, the basketball game is where you need to be heard at. And I, I absolutely drew a blank. I had no clue what I was going to say. And I was on the phone with a person that was like, you'll do fine, you'll do fine. And I'm like, you don't understand. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And when I got out there, I just said those three words, we will win. And once it's out there, you can't take it back. But I've always, and this team, we, we've, we've always been that way. And everything that we do, every decision that we make, it, it's about winning. But it's, it's about winning the right way. We don't want to win the wrong way. There's, there's, there's people out there that win the wrong way, and we don't, we're not going to do that. You know, winning the right way is the key, and uh, I'm just really proud of where those young men are at, and hopefully we can continue the second part of our season doing things the right way. He came out, he stood in the dome, and he said we will win. They've won. Now it's only one season. It's six wins. But they've won enough to get not only to a bowl game, but into the top 25. They've won enough that it is legitimately realistic. Especially when you look at their schedule over the next two weeks. 
that we're sitting here and following the next home game for the Syracuse Orange, they've got as many wins this year as they had the last two years combined. They've won. Dino is doing what he said he would. I bring you back to that press conference opening speech, opening remarks from Dino Babers. And I've come back to it a number of times. I came back to it after the Clemson game last year. Over the course of this year, I've thought about it quite a bit. But Dino Babers is sitting up at the front of the room at the uh, the football practice facility. And he tells the assembled media, the fans, the guests of the program who are there for his introduction. He says to them, close your eyes. Picture an offense that's flying up and down the field. Picture a defense that is not going to stop. Picture a team, special teams, that is well coached. And picture a carrier dome that is loud and filled to the brim. That will be Syracuse football. And I come back to that again after Saturday's game. Look at that offense. Look at that offense that was flying around the field. That offense that was moving up and down the field. And as Dino said afterwards, most impressively, kept the ball. To be able to play a game like that and not turn the ball over. How cool is that? How cool is that? And and to and to give kudos out when you look at the other offense, how well the other offense played, and their turnover came at what two minutes left in the game, a minute forty left in the game. You saw that's why I used the, the analogy archers. You saw two archers out there hitting bullseyes. I mean, it was that's a heck of a game. That quarterback is a heck of a quarterback. And guess what? We got a heck of a quarterback too. This offense flew up and down the field. Eric Dungy was not turning the ball over. Eric Dungy was precise with his passes. He looked as good as he has in this offensive system on Saturday night. You look at that defense, and look, there there are problems with the defense. Do not get me wrong, and we will talk about those at another time. The secondary was leaky. They allowed big passing plays. But the defensive front, I thought, did a pretty good job of getting pressure on Ryan Finley, even though they could not bring him down. And Ryan Finley doesn't take sacks, but that's another story. The linebackers were flying to the ball. Ryan Guthrie had a fantastic game. Andrew Armstrong came up with the interception when it was needed the most. The defense was opportunistic. They got NC State off the field. They were 6 of 15 on third down conversions. NC State was. That's not good. They got that interception at the end. The defense did more than enough when it mattered most at the end of the game to win. And the special teams, we know the special teams. We've seen Andre Schmidt and Sterling Hoffrichter and this return game. It it all works. It all comes alive. And then it gets to the last point. We get to the last point that Dino brought up. A dome that is filled, a dome that is loud. And Saturday, Saturday night... I cannot remember a time where the Dome has been louder for a Syracuse football game. Now, I've only been up here six football seasons, but I'm struggling to remember when the Dome has been that loud over the last six years 
for a football game? I don't think it has been. What Dino Babers laid out in December of 2011, so I was doing my math there. December of 2011, what Dino Babers laid out, or sorry, in December 2015, what Dino Babers laid out has come true, largely. They got the offense that runs up and down. They got the defense that makes plays when they have to. Special teams is winning them games, not losing them games. And the Dome is starting to fill back up. And it's culminated in this. It's culminated in a top 25 appearance. It's culminated in bowl eligibility in year three. Now, this isn't the end. You wouldn't think for Dino Babers. You wouldn't think this is the end for how high this program could go. In theory, this is just the beginning. But it's a pretty good beginning. It's a pretty good spot to be in when you're in the top 25, when you've reached bowl eligibility at week eight. That's a nice spot to be in. And right now, Syracuse is there. And that's why I say Syracuse is back. I know there'll be people who say Syracuse isn't back until they're winning 10 games. There'll be people who say Syracuse isn't back until they're going back to to New Year's Bowls, to Fiesta Bowls and Orange Bowls, and and whatever else you want to say, those big games that are on New Year's Day and after. But let's face it. Syracuse football's in the top 25. That's as back as you need to be for me. When you're getting this national publicity, when you're getting the national love, sure, it's great to go 10-2. and It's great to get into those New Year's Six Bowl games. But I think that you have to be happy with where you are right now. And right now, you're in a great position as SU football. Top 25 team, 6-2. and There are problems, there are warts. But the next two weeks, you're playing two of the worst teams in the ACC. You can get to 8-2. and two. You can get to probably the top 15 of the AP poll. Things are looking really good for SU football right about now. Let's take a timeout. In 15 minutes, we've got Julian Wiggum joining us here on the show. Your call is welcome at 315-437-7644. We're back after this on Orange Nation here on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Back here on Orange Nation, we go until 2 o'clock. We got, our, we got today's business coming up in just a little bit. We are brought to you by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. You know, I mentioned something there at the end of the last hour. I mentioned that I picked this team to go 5-7 and seven in the preseason. I picked SU to go 5-7. and seven. I didn't think uh, that everything would go right. And I picked them to go 5-7 and seven because even though, as I said at the time, I thought they were good enough to go 6-6, six and six, even though, as I said at the time, I thought they were good enough to be a team that goes to a bowl game, everything I've t- seen 
in Syracuse football over the last six years has told me that something somewhere will go wrong. Somebody will get hurt. They'll lose games that they shouldn't lose. Uh, they, they'll throw a game away. Whatever it is, something will go wrong. And I had said over the last couple of weeks that I would be ecstatic if I was wrong. I would be very happy if I was wrong. And I don't mean that just because Syracuse is going to a bowl game. I don't mean that just because Syracuse got to six wins. I don't mean that just because they exceeded what I thought they would do preseason. I mean that because of the larger picture here. I mean that because it means that Syracuse has taken a step forward in this regard. They're winning games that they should win. They're handling their business. Everybody's stayed healthy. But first and foremost, they're handling their business. And I don't think that that could always be said in the past. In the past, at least as far as I know, or think, in the past, Syracuse loses on Saturday night. In the past, Syracuse loses that UNC game. But it feels like they've turned a page. They've turned a page with Dino Babers. They've turned a page with this coaching staff and and. And, and things are moving forward. This is not same old Syracuse. This is not the Syracuse of the last decade. This is not the Syracuse of the last six years that I've been watching. This is a different team. This is a team that's going to go win games that they should win. This is a team that's in the top 25. This is a team that's bowl eligible after week eight. The earliest they've been bowl eligible since 2010. This is the team that handles their business. Bad Florida State team comes into the Dome, they handle that. They handle them. UNC comes into the Dome, yeah, it took a little bit more than you would hope, but they won. An NC State team comes in that is a top 25 team, you come in and you win. You play a really good game and you win. It feels as if Syracuse football has turned a page in that regard. So I couldn't be happier that my preseason prediction is wrong. I couldn't be happier that they have exceeded my five-win total and that they've done it so early because to me it really signifies a change. It, it signifies uh, somewhat of a culture change. And I know Dino Babers alluded to that on Saturday after the game. Dino Babers alluded to that they had to change the culture and that they did and that they feel like they have. But I think that's pretty obvious from the outside, on top of the improvement in wins, in, on top of the improvement in quality of play. This is not same old Syracuse. This is not same old SU football. They're top 25 team. They're different. I said at the beginning of the show, they're back. Back on the national stage. Back to national relevance. Back to being of interest to people outside of central New York. That's what Saturday's win did. That's what the first eight weeks of this season have done. Let's take a timeout. 315-437-7644, the number to call. We've got today's business coming up next. It's just a public service announcement. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. 
Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. All right, it's time for today's business here on Orange Nation. And there is a lot of business to get to outside of the Syracuse football world. We've got Tommy Hogan here with us. Uh, what do you have, Tommy? I know there's so much going on. There is. Uh, Hugh Jackson was fired today by the Cleveland Browns after <laughs> time. two five and one this season. Which really were the Browns supposed to be better than that two five and one this year? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think people had them as like the trendy dark horse yeah, good team pick. I'm not sure he's been I, disappointing this year. Now, to be honest, well, disappointing, yes. Uh, disappointing compared to what he has been, no. And I, I think that that's. One of the weird slash funny things about being the Browns head coach right now is that he's been so bad that at 2-5-1, and one, this is a drastic improvement from where yeah. he was last year. And you're now firing a guy during his best season as the head coach of your team. Uh, not saying he didn't deserve to be fired, because trust me, I think Hugh Jackson deserved sure. to be fired. I just think it's funny that you did it now. Yeah, I guess it's more of the grand scope of his, his two and a half years now is... The uh, coach of the Browns, three thirty-six and one, as the head coach of the he's Cleveland a, Browns. He's a terrible head coach. Terrible. But you think, oh, their offense coordinator Todd Haley. He he has head coaching experience. He would be a great uh, fit as interim. Well, no, he was also fired today. Okay. See, now this is now this is also one of those weird slash funny things. Uh, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson just had a power struggle, and normally there's a winner and a loser. Except in this case, we got two losers. Or did they well, both win? Well, no, hold on. We went in with two losers. We came out with two losers exactly. also. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I guess we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that they both lost this power struggle. But I, they both end up out of a job, and the only thing I can say I hope for is Bob Wiley in term coach. And it's honestly looking like it's possible because Greg Williams, their defensive coordinator, is it's being told that he will not be the interim head coach. So Bob Wiley, who— they can't, who, No, they, they can't hire Greg Williams. You it would not be a great look. No, you can't. Definitely wouldn't be. Like, I, I know we were talking about this in the break. I'm not sure that, that they could make that higher. I don't, I don't know that it would get NFL approval. I don't know that it would uh, be allowed. I think that it would be an awful, awful but he, look. But he's allowed to be the D coordinator? You know? like he He's not, he not representing be... a franchise. Sure, but he's if still you're the on head, the coaching no, staff. No, 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 it's still no, a tough no, look there. No. I understand it's, totally it's a, a, a bigger scheme. It's but. totally different. If you're the head coach, you're representing the franchise. You're talking to the media multiple times a week, multiple sure. times a day in some situations. Uh, there's no way that the NFL could allow him to be a head coach again. Not after he put bounties on players. Not after the whole thing in New Orleans. He's never going to be a head coach. And, and I don't think that you can let him do it even on an interim basis. Um, they would not get away with that. They they could keep him on staff. They could have him as a defensive coordinator, whatever. Uh, he is not going to be an interim head coach. Bob Wiley, who we saw in Hard Knocks. Got to go with the gut. Known for his gut. He's not an analytics person. No, I wouldn't think so. He's not a stretching I just, person I was either. just making a, a going with the gut. He goes on his gut. Joke. He goes by his gut. Um yeah. Not known for he doesn't like stretching. He doesn't want his players stretching. <laughs> says it's overrated. But he would be awesome if that was uh, not maybe from a personnel person. Uh, yeah, a football standpoint. But from just watching the Browns, I just need it. He, yeah. I just need it. I mean, the Browns have been entertaining to watch this year with Bob Wiley as their head coach. It would be that more would take entertaining. Him to a, it would take him to another level. I mean, that would just be. Awesome to see on the sideline. <laughs> it would, it would him be the best. Front and center. 
It would be the best. It, it's what we all need. It, maybe it's not what the Browns need. It might not be what's Probably best not. for them. But it's what we, the football fans, need when you really think about it. Uh, we we need Bob Wiley as the head coach. And, and I, I was being a little quiet there because I was, I was trying to search through our full files for, for Bob Wiley. But we have it somewhere. I know. That's why I'm searching. You usually don't think of an offensive line coach to be your interim coach, but I think— No, because he's normally not anything, right? It, it, you, you normally don't know the offensive line coach. You normally True. would never would never think of the offensive line coach, and there's good reason why, except for when your offensive line coach does this. World War One, World War Two, all those guys that fought in that war, right? They did push-ups, jumping jacks— Sit up, climbed the up, and ran. But none of this fancy shit. Okay? Right? And they won two world wars. Two world wars by doing jumping jacks, push-ups, and sit-ups. Two world wars. You think they were worried when they're running across Normandy about fucking stretching? Are you kidding me? Huh? Well, let me see. Give me my rubber band so I can stretch to run across that fucking beat. You gotta be kidding me. So, yeah. I want him as my head coach. Bob Wiley actually was the... Offensive line coach of Syracuse in 2005 to 2006. So Yes. <laughs> a, a little yes. cues I, on the sideline. I want him as the interim Browns head coach. I No, you know what? I don't want him. I need him yeah. as the Browns interim head coach. For sure. I do. Just because, just because I'm curious if he would curse during a press conference. Would we get that gut moving every play? Oh, I hope so. World War One, World War Two, all those guys that fought in that war, right? They did push-ups, jumping jacks, sit-ups, climbed the up and ran. But none of this fancy shit, okay? Right? And they won two world wars. Two world wars by doing jumping jacks, push-ups, and sit-ups. Two world wars. You think they were worried when they're running across Normandy about fucking stretching? Are you kidding me? Huh? Well, let me see. Give me my rubber band so I can stretch to run across that fucking beat. You got to be kidding me. I need him as the next head coach of the Browns. What else do we have? Rick Pitino has hired an agent and is hoping to become an NBA coaching candidate. No shot of this happening, right? You mean he wasn't being honest when he said his coaching career was finished and he has no interest in coaching ever again? Uh, yes. That's what? Are you shocked? Are you Rick shocked Pati- that he wasn't Rick being honest? Rick Pitino? No. Rick Pitino wasn't being honest. He's not. He was not being honest. I'm shocked, Tommy. Stunned, yeah. Uh, Stunned. Uh, you, there's no chance this happens, no, get, right? Get him out of here. Get away from me. He's got to get out of the news. He's got to stop. I, he, needs my, to, he needs to get out of my life. Get away. Do you think this is him just trying to get back in the news? Yes. Or does he, <laughs> does he legitimately yes. think he has a shot of being an NBA head coach again? I think... Maybe he does oh, think... He, he might think He might think he has a legitimate shot, but does well, he would, actually yeah, have a legitimate shot? I would think that that's something that eats at him, because he wasn't particularly good no, as was, an NBA head coach. He was not. Um, you know, the same thing as, as John Calipari, like they, they weren't very good as NBA head coaches, um, slash executives, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that they, they both got the both title. They both got the, the, uh, the president GM coaching title. Yes. Um, and I, and I don't think that they were all that good in those roles. Um, I'm trying to find the record here, Patino 192 and 220. And he was he resigned thirty four games into the season with Boston his last year. I would imagine that's just something that that eats away at you. I, I would think that's just something that bothers you and is something that you want to 
you know, get back yeah. to work. He definitely still has that coaching um, bug. Yeah, I would think that for Patino and John Calipari, that, that that's something that that kind of like eats away, and you're like, but I'm as I'm as successful as possible in college. I've won national titles. Um, in in Patino's case, sure. I've won national titles at multiple schools. Yeah. Um, I am I am the the height. I am a a basketball Hall of Famer because of what I did in college. Um, except I went sub five hundred. Uh, all but one year of my professional career, and I made the you know I made the playoffs twice. Uh, I I would think that would kill him inside. There's been rumors for a while with John Calipari to go back I know, to the NBA. There have. Yeah, I mean it's never. Wasn't it the, the Cavaliers most recently when they brought LeBron back? They were they were interested. They, in I remember something? the Nets. They really they were the Nets. Yes, they were in discussion with or they wanted him for a while, and that didn't ever come to fruition. But well, he was there with the Nets before. It, yeah. But they were looking for a second tenure with him, I guess. You know, he took Kerry Kittles instead of Kobe. Not great. That didn't pan out. No. It, <laughs> no, it did not. Uh, they did get to two finals with Kerry Kittles, but it didn't work out. Uh, Kobe last Bryant th- was kind of good. We got we got time for one more. The Mets have hired their GM to replace Sandy Alderson. It will be Brody Van Wagenen, who is the agent of Jacob deGrom and many other Mets players. A very interesting hire by the New York Mets. It is, and and I'm curious to see how this plays out because we've seen, um, we've seen. I, I don't want to call it a trend, but we've seen agents kind of make the crossover here um, a little bit. We've seen agents make the crossover in other sports. Bob Myers, Bob Myers, most notably in Golden State, was a very prominent agent before turning That's before out. before building one of the best teams ever Rob in Palenka Golden in LA State. Now, yeah, Rob Palinka in L.A. I know in in Detroit. Uh, Arn Tellum uh, is somebody who was an agent for a very, very long time um, and, and took over basketball operations uh, in Detroit for a little while. So this is something that like we've kind of sort of seen. I don't think we really saw it in baseball yet, so I'm curious to see how it plays out. But there are two things that are really interesting. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen was the uh, the agent for Jacob deGrom, and, and he's the one who in July said, hey, Mets, trade deGrom or pay deGrom. And they, they, he now was like, he's the one making he was like, that decision, sure. right? He was like, "You got to choose," and now he's got to make that decision and and decide uh, whether they give him a contract or they trade him. Um, and also, I saw this yesterday. The Players Association is very concerned about the conflict of interest with him and his clients, sure, um, and his former clients, and how much he knows and the confidentiality between you know uh, client and agent and. Uh, one of the solutions that I saw is that he's not going to be able to participate in the arbitration hearings for uh, Degrom and uh, and Cindergard uh, and and probably his other clients yeah. too. I would imagine uh, as Nimmo. as they hit yes as they hit arbitration. Um, that I mean that that creates an awkward problem where you have to have somebody else do it. But the reasoning behind it was that uh, Van Wagenen would know their strategy going to arbitration. He would know what they're going to argue versus what the team is going to argue. And he would know what the settling, what the settlement point would be. So he would know from the jump, like, hey, as, as long as I offer this, like, we're good. And apparently the Players Association is like, no, like, we're not, we're not cool with that. We, we want players to get more money and not sure. settle for less. So I, I'm curious to see how that plays itself out. But I, I think this is at least an outside-the-box hire. Uh, by the New York Mets, I will say this: almost two hours outside well, the box, though. I don't know. I don't can't think decide so. that yet. But. I don't think so. I, I'll say this: the Mets, no matter who they hired, the thing that has to change is ownership and and the mentality sure. of ownership. Not the not the actual owners. I'm not saying that, 
The thing that has mm. to change is the me- well, maybe. But <laughs> the thing I'm saying is is the mentality in ownership has to change because they've got to start acting like a team that's in New York. They've got to expend the resources. They've got to embrace analytics. They they've got to do more than what they do now. And and you can hire anybody. You can hire. Uh, Brian Cashman or Dave Dombrowski or Andrew Friedman or or Theo Epstein or whoever you view as the best executive in baseball. You can hire any of them. And if the ownership does not change their thought process and if the ownership does not change their views on baseball, they're not going to be successful. So I think Brody Van Wagenen is a very outside-the-box hire. I think it's a really intriguing hire for a number of reasons. But as always, it always comes down to the mat. It, it, it always comes down to ownership and and what ownership is willing to do. And they haven't been willing to really start embracing analytics no, as much. They and, haven't. And one of their their final three candidates was a huge part or had a huge part in analytics, and and they, he finished second. So and and then the person I also, I also saw that. That Ben Charrington, who formerly ran the yep. Red Sox, was up for the job, and he said he wanted to to rebuild, to, to tear down fully and rebuild. And, and Mets ownership said no, and and so th- that's that's the kind of stuff I mean. Like they've got to they've got to go through some changes at, at the ownership level before they can uh, really get going. Uh, today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amour CPAs. Look ahead to 2019 with Grossman St. Amour CPAs. Remain focused with today's business on helping clients prosper by providing comprehensive accounting, auditing, tax planning, tax preparation services. Visit GSACPAs.com. I got to hear Bob Wiley one more time before we take a break. World War One, World War Two, all those guys that fought in that war, right? They did push-ups, jumping jacks, sit-ups, climbed the rope and ran. But none of this fancy shit, okay? Right? And they won two world wars. Two world wars by doing jumping jacks, push-ups, and sit-ups. Two world wars. You think they were worried when they're running across Normandy about fucking stretching? Are you kidding me? Huh? Well, let me see. Give me my rubber band so I can stretch to run across that fucking beat. You gotta be kidding me. 